It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening, I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria, an Italian restaurant located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out his website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. We'll give my man a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simons Island for an authentic Italian meal. And speaking of St. Simons, don't forget, we're doing our biggest, our best uh, Billy C. Get-Together, I-, I can't emphasize enough to all you boys and girls out there that you got to be part of the next Billy C. Boxing uh, Get-Together. Uh, it's taking place now. I, I know it's going to sound like a long way off, but it's taking place September 13th, 14th, and 15th at the Sea Palms Resort. It's going to include all kinds of stuff. First and foremost, a birthday party for our show. That's right. We're entering our 15th year, so we'll be celebrating that. We're going to have a meet and greet where you guys will uh, be able to uh, meet and talk to one-on-one with uh, several uh, former world champions and and celebrities. There'll be food there for you, a a really good time at the Sea Palms. We also will have a golf tournament, a fishing tournament. Uh, We're going to be crashing Sal's Place. We're going to have a memorabilia uh, show going on. We're going to have uh, a fight night. So, listen, trust me, you're not going to want to miss it. Now, you're going to need a ticket uh, to get in because space will be limited. So, you got to drop me an email, Billy at Talking Boxing. That's T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com uh, to get put on that list. Now, this uh, will cover everything except lodging. Uh, there's plenty of opportunities. Uh, on uh, St. Simons or the other uh, Golden Isles, as well as uh, the city of Brunswick. So uh, you shop around and get the best deal. I do recommend you stay at a Holiday Inn property because you can get a Billy C. discount. That's right. Call toll-free 844-603-0364. That's 844-603-0364. And get a automatic Billy C. discount uh, for any time you want to stay someplace at a Holiday Inn. Uh, listen, by the way, if you are not good with numbers like me, then uh, don't worry about it. Just visit the website, billycboxing.com, and click on the banner. It's right there. And today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to the show. Just go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about uh, getting Tom Molino's story told. Coming up a little bit later, Boxing Hall of Famer, 
Larry Hazard scheduled to join us. Uh, our blast from the past. Yeah, it's that day again. Blast from the past will be taking place. Alex Papali will present it this week. And it's on former multi-division world champion Meldrick Taylor. So you're not going to want to miss that. Um, some news that I want to talk about today. Two big topics. And then we got some other topics uh, coming up a little bit later. Floyd Mayweather. Uh, gets implicated in a sponsorship fraud. We'll talk about that. Uh, also, more troubles for Adrian Broner. Uh, what a what a jerk this guy is. We'll uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, but I want to kick off the show with two topics. First and foremost, uh, two big issues in the news today. Number one, uh, Canelo Alvarez has officially dropped out of the fight with Triple G stemming from uh, all of the uh, uh, evidence that's stacked up against him, although he's never admitted it and still doesn't, which uh, uh, kind of bothers me. And the other topic is uh, both Team Deontay Wilder and Team Anthony Joshua, they're keeping up with the f facade, the BS. Oh, I'm fighting all oh, this. Oh, he doesn't want to fight. He wants to fight. We'll talk all about that. But first, Canelo withdrawn from the Triple G fight. Joining me right now with his thoughts uh, is my partner. I say my I, I say my partner in crime, uh, Sal Rocky Senicola. Sal, what's your thoughts? Canelo withdrawing from the Triple G fight on Cinco de Mayo. Well, good morning, Billy C. I'll tell you, I think that uh, reality is setting in in Canelo because I'll tell you. You know, the first thing when it's on the surface, this thing was uh, first rumored and talked and spoken about what's going to happen, how it's going to play out. And now, you know, since yesterday and Bob Bennett, uh, you know, looking to possibly hint that he's going to put the hammer down, uh, has maybe turned the tide and, and, and uh, leverage, so to speak, away from uh, Canelo Alvarez. And I think this is more evident. And uh, I think he's going to be backpedaling and doing a lot of things that he he should have been doing uh, uh, in the beginning. But um, we're going to see, what is it, April 10th, the final uh, cry out of what's going to happen as far as his future? Well, they change, They even, I, I've been hearing conflicting dates. Originally, I heard April 10th, and then more recently, April 18th. Uh, but, 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 you know, there's some issues about that, too. You know, I, I, yeah. my, man, my man Mitch uh, had dropped me an email. And he was, you know, bouncing some of his thoughts off of me. And uh, one of them was pretty much setting up the whole landscape to Bob Bennett covering his butt by saying that we're going to do this, we're going to, and but it still would go before the um, board of directors in, for the Nevada State Athletic Commission, and they could have still voted. Everything gets done on a vote. This, I believe, right. six people. Uh, or five people, either five or six on the board. So they could have voted and still Canelo could have been approved to fight. So uh, all of that is thrown out the window. It's it's neither here nor there anymore because Canelo officially withdrew. He did give a statement, and it is, as I quote, I am surprised what happened, and I regret this. I want to apologize to everyone. This really hurts me. This is difficult for me to go through. I feel really frustrated, but I'm calm and I'm relaxed. I've always been a clean fighter and will continue to be a clean fighter. I have always tested voluntarily because I'm a clean fighter. I've informed the Nevada State Athletic Commission to do all the testing to clarify the situation. I'm positive I'm a clean fighter. I respect what I do this, but this isn't the exception. 
I'm a clean fighter. You know, um, when uh, uh, his team has been, you know, steadfast and strong, saying that the levels that were uh, found uh, all are in line with the result of uh, the contaminated meat in Mexico. Canelo says uh, concerning that, this has been the case in Mexico with contaminated meat, as it's been the case for many athletes. I respect the Nevada State Athletic Commission's rules, their sanctions, and their regulations. With this experience, I will take more precautions. I'm clean. I'm a clean fighter. I don't really care what Glockman and his team have to say. Unfortunately, the rematch is going to have to wait. We want to settle the score with Triple G. Without a doubt, that is the fight in boxing. I'm a clean fighter. Um, I think he thinks he's a clean fighter. I, I mean, he, he has said that uh, 100,000 times in these uh, um, comments, Sal. Um, he's not a clean fighter. Uh, the, the, the facts are the facts. He tested positive uh, enough to warrant all of this, as far as him suggesting that the fight should still go on, I feel very strongly uh, about the fact that I believe that Team Triple G should say, forget about it with you, Canelo. Walk away from the fight. Billy Joe Saunders, I saw, whether it was legit or not, I saw a, a tweet from him yesterday that says, I'm willing. Now, he said he wasn't willing uh, last week, but he says, I'm willing to replace Canelo against Triple G. I, I still think that uh, Triple G could go fight Billy Joe Saunders in the UK and make the same amount of money that he would have made fighting Canelo. I say box Canelo out due to this. What's your thoughts on all of that stuff I rambled on about? Well, that's good. I like it because I, I usually am the one rambling. But uh, I, it was good to hear everything you, you had to get off your chest, Bill. That was, that was a lot. But <laughs> I'll tell you what, buddy. I share the same sentiments here. I think that um, you know Triple G. Hey, let's 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 be really re realistic too. I do want to see Triple G and Canelo Alvarez fight. I really do. There's only two fights really I care about to see uh, over that take place over the next couple of months, and that is Triple G, Canelo Alvarez, and uh, and we are talking about Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. Now the reality is uh, probably closer to see Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. And Triple G and Canelo Alvarez hopefully will, will resume, as they suggest, round 13. But it's not going to happen on May and in May. And uh, uh, it's a shame because the boxing fans are the ones that lose. Now, uh, this is going deeper and extending further than I'm sure uh, Canelo Alvarez has ever anticipated. Because, you know, now that once the question is going to start raising, how long has he been involved with this kind of stuff? Um, when did they last check before with each each fight for different substances? I mean, that's going to be rumored anyway. And, uh, you know, he suggests he's always been a clean fighter. But, you know, once you have that tainted meat syndrome or that you have not done everything clean or, or by the book, you know, you've got a lot to prove going forward. And it's always going to be suggested, well, I knew he was juiced up or I knew this, I knew that. That's just going to be the rhetoric. That's just going to be the, the outcry by some of the people that uh, do not really um, hold uh, Canelo Alvarez in, in a favorable light. Favorable light. So uh, this is just starting to expand, and the can of worms has been open. You know, Sal, I agree with you that it's a, a highly uh, anticipated and warranted fight. The rematch, uh, and I also agree that it's right behind, and I and I and I mean that it's behind the demand for AJ against Deontay. But in this particular case, 
it does not make sense for Triple G, especially now. Now, when I say this, I look at the whole picture, and, and you have to, you know, at times actually believe what what these fighters say. Triple G has said that his main goal in the sport is to retire as a unified champion. Uh, Canelo didn't bring anything to the table in terms of unification. Technically, he's got the linear title, uh, but that's it. Uh, you know, everybody that watched, 99% of the people that watched the fight uh, felt that Triple G won the first fight. Uh, so really, there's nothing left for him to prove except fight and, and win against Billy Joe Saunders. As far as Canelo, I, I tell you what, it almost seems like they're kind of happy that this happened so that they could stretch it out and possibly get the Triple G rematch in September. And like I suggested yesterday, Sal, that, that makes Triple G, who we all know only has a fight or two left in him, he's no spring chicken, he ages six months uh, more, and is out of the ring. One of the most important things that people keep forgetting is that what made Triple G so effective when he was, you know, destroying fighters in the middleweight division, was his activity level. How often he fought. Since he's been messing around with Canelo, he hasn't fought. And that's the worst thing you can do to an aging fighter. Keep him out of the ring. And that's exactly what Canelo and Golden Boy seem to be trying to do. No, I'm sorry. If I'm Triple G, I say, forget about it, Canelo, and I move on, Sal. Well, and you make all good, valid points, Billy C. I'll tell you what, because an aging fighter like uh, Triple G does need to remain active. And uh, whoever may be his opponent May 5th, he's got to get back in the ring. And he's got to uh, to keep that uh, those 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 limbs uh, loose. And, and uh, he's got to keep his mind sharp. And he's got to keep himself in condition. And uh, fighting to stay in shape mentally and physically at this stage of his career is the utmost important. And uh, I think he's got to really, really map out and say, hey, I got to fight now and I got to fight September. And I think uh, maybe uh, maybe decide when he's going to retire, if, if at the end of this year or early next year. But, you know, I think he's got just a few good fights left in him. And uh, we, uh, we hope him the best because uh, we wish him the best because he's, he's a class act. He's a great fighter, great opponent. Never, uh, never really said no to anybody to fight. So, yes, I think he's got to get the opponent for May 5th and uh, give us a good show and, and see what he can do and what he has. And, and you know what? Like I always said, a fighter's only as good as his last fight in the fans' eyes and the critics' eyes. So let's have a hope that he has a good display of what he can show us on May 5th, whether it's against Billy Joe Saunders or another formidable opponent. Well, here, here's the thing about that, too. You know, the name that keeps popping up as being a, a, a fighter that that could possibly be the guy who steps in the ring with Triple G on, on May 5th is Gary Spike O'Sullivan. Uh, he is a contender. Uh, he's got a record of 27-2 and two, uh, with 19 knockouts. Uh, this is a guy that's out of Ireland. We saw him. Uh, you know, he's the guy with the, the John L. Sullivan-type mustache. We saw him yeah, uh, fight. Yeah, he's a good, wiry uh, fighter. He's yeah, but, but here's the thing, Sal. You know, I, I'm not saying that he's not good. I'm not saying he's not uh, – I'm not saying he's good. I'm not saying he's bad, okay? What I'm saying is, is that Canelo 
doesn't need to fight Gary Spike O'Sullivan. You know, Canelo has to look. I'm sorry, Triple G. I keep, uh, you know. Uh, I got Canelo's. Uh, I, I think I had some. You and me both. We got Canelo on a mind. I, I think I, I think I had some tainted pizza last night. I don't know, but uh, easy, not uh, mine. Uh, but but it, it it came from Mexico. But uh, the truth <laughs> that it was yeah. a Mex- it was a Mexican pizza. I, I don't know, but but no, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, Triple G, you know, he needs a substantial fight. He doesn't need a stay busy fight. Well, then again, that, maybe that's contradicting what I just said about uh, Canelo. But the truth of the matter is, Triple G should seek out Billy Joe Saunders. He should forget about, if he has to forget about May 5th, forget about May 5th. There's no one to blame about kicking May 5th to the curb except for Canelo. Triple G should sit, if, if I'm involved in Triple G's team, I say, listen, man, you know, it's about two things. It's about you getting all the belts and it's about you making a big payday. Let's be real. Those are the two issues, okay? Why, how does Gary Spike O'Sullivan fit into that formula? He doesn't. All he does is he becomes a body that Triple G can take out his frustration on. And quite honestly, it's a risk that's not worth the reward. Triple G is not going to make a boatload of cash of fighting and beating Gary Spike O'Sullivan. You know, and he runs the risk of sustaining it. I, I go through this all the time, Sal. He runs the risk of sustaining a knockout, taking a a, a punch that, that um, uh, you know, cuts him. Uh, he, you know, he could lose, uh, he, you know, something else, some freak thing could happen. Uh, he could put on a boring display and actually devalue himself. Uh, no, it, it makes no sense in any way, shape, or form for him to fight anyone other than Billy Joe Saunders. You could make the argument that Daniel Jacobs gets a shot too, but Daniel Jacobs is already fighting. And is going to position himself to fight uh, one of these guys in his next fight. So, no, there's one name on my radar if I'm Triple G, and that is uh, Billy Joe Saunders. Well, you you make a good, valid point, Bill, and I'll tell you what. That would be a good fight, and that would uh, signify a lot from Triple G if he was to get in a ring with Billy Joe Saunders and beat him. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough fight. I think that would be a very tough fight, especially if we see the Billy Joe Saunders we saw against David Lemieux, David Lemieux, and because uh, I think that Billy Joe Saunders really rose to the occasion, and uh, not only outboxed, out out hit, out punched, out did everything uh, against a one-dimensional David Lemieux, and uh, I'll tell you what, Triple G would offer a lot more, and I think it'd be a good action-packed fight because I think Billy Joe Saunders would try to do his best to uh, upset and to uh, really come to the table and, and show the world what he is all about. And I think uh, it'll be a very good clash, a very good fight, and I'm all supportive and for it. You know, uh, another uh, good fight that has been mentioned, Bob Arum uh, has tossed the name Gilberto Ramirez uh, out at, uh, uh, at Triple G. Um, for the May 5th date. And then, of course, uh, Demetrius Andrade uh, was also a name that was thrown out. But Demetrius Andrade is involved with uh, uh, Artie Puello and Joe DeGuardia. Both guys usually outprice uh, their fighters. So, I, you know, but I mean, those are, are two good possibilities. But again, is the risk worth the reward for Triple G? You know, Triple G has a goal. In his mind, and that's Billy Joe Saunders' belt. That's the last belt that Triple G does not have. Um, so, 
if I'm Team Triple G, I'm looking. I'm looking for one fight, Sal. I'm looking for Billy Joe Saunders, and then after that fight, if he still feels, you know, if he wins and he's got all the belts, and you know, Can- Canelo comes knocking, everything changes. Triple G becomes the guy in the driver's seat. Canelo can't. Pop- you see what what Canelo's the damage that's happened to Canelo now, and if and if Triple G goes and fights Billy Joe Saunders and wins. All of a sudden, for the first time in his career, Triple G is in the driver's seat. You know, and he could turn around to Canelo and say, no, you know, what are you going to pay me? How many gazillions are you going to pay me to risk all these titles against you now that I'm old and I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish in boxing? You know, why? You know, what are you going to give me? Nah, nah. But business, listen. In the business, excuse me, uh, I almost choked on my uh, cough drop. Um, it, from a, from a business, Easy tiger. Easy. I know. From a business perspective, Sal, there's yeah. only one fight that makes financial sense, uh, and that's uh, Billy Joe Saunas for Triple G. Well, you make a great point, and besides, that is his goal. Triple G's goal is to get all the belts, and guess what? It's a natural layup. That's a natural opponent right there. Is is going to be uh, Billy Joe Saunas. So you know. Uh, it'll it'll signify the twilight or the end of uh, of a stellar career if he was to get past and win the fight against Billy Joe Saunders and and receive all the accolades of having all the belts at one time, and then you know uh, it, when the dust settles everything else forget about it. Then all the sanctioning bodies are going to say we well, got to do this mandatory that mandatory matter. They'll split them up and it could be crazy. But for the one instant, he will be the unified. Champ, middleweight champion of the entire world. So I think it's a great way to, to really signify what his career has all been all about. Not afraid to fight anybody. He comes in, he uh, conquers, he's in, and he's in great shape. And uh, what better way to, to end a stellar career? If it goes as one would want to write that kind of script. But, you know, no I know Billy Joe Saunders would have something else to say about it. Exactly. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, Team Wilder and Team Anthony Joshua are playing games with all of us, boys and girls. I'll explain that in about two. Billy C. will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you guys could be with us today. And um, before we went to break, we were talking about uh, Canelo withdrawing from the Triple G rematch. And uh, just as I went to break, I I mentioned that uh, I think that both teams, Wilder and Anthony Joshua, are playing games with us. But first, I got to thank my man Joe Olsen for uh, giving us uh, a super chat, Sal. Big ups to Billy C and Sal, man. So uh, uh, I'm loving this, that these guys are... uh, actually uh putting their money where their mouth is and and helping us uh, uh out with this show and uh I, I tell you i'm so glad that my man willie uh you know basically shamed me into uh 
uh, starting this super chat thing because it's 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 fun, man. I like it. I you know what I, I'm just on the other other uh, other spectrum here. You know me with technology, Bill, but I think it's a great idea too. So I'm glad that they're doing it, and man, let them keep coming. That's great. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, you know, uh, the bottom line is Deontay Wilder. And by the way, uh, your boy Deontay Wilder uh, canceled his uh, conference call yesterday. Um, not sure if you were aware of that, but uh, who knows uh, the reasons why. But uh, the bottom line is, is he canceled him. And um, uh, he, with the cancellation, he made a statement. And he says, uh, this is Deontay Wilder. First of all, I want to congratulate Anthony Joshua on his win last Saturday night. Anthony, I am so glad we finally heard from you on Saturday and that you want to fight me as your next opponent and you want the fight to happen in the UK. I accept that challenge and I'm ready to come to the UK for my next fight. There is nothing on Team Wilder's side to prevent me from fighting you next. You also said on Saturday that your team is ready to meet with Shelly Finkel and Al Heyman from my side to get this deal done. They are also ready to meet with your team immediately. Let us know when, the sooner the better. Thank you, Anthony. I can't wait to meet you in the ring. Um, now, That's nice. At, I like that. Well... You know, come on, don't, come on, Sal. You're smarter than that. Let's let's not fall There's into more? let let's not fall into into There's that. Now, more? now here's here's the thing. It's a it's a smokescreen, and I'll tell you why. You know, first of all, they have discussed the possibility of fighting before. This is a is a ploy to make a fan base believe that Wilder wants to fight and AJ does not. The part that they leave out and the part that I want to make sure that people emphasize is that the, the statement where he says that you're ready to meet with Shelly Finkel and Al Heyman to get the deal done. That's the most important sentence of this, of this uh, quote. And the reason is because if, if they offer him a deal, uh, let's say 60-40, and they say no, we want fifty-fifty. Well, then what will you? The next words that will be out of Wilder's mouth is they won't fight me. He's afraid to fight me. They'll leave out the offer and that they refused it. It's not all Wilder, because Eddie Hearn comes back, who happens to be in New York uh, promoting uh, the Jarrell Miller fight. He says that they don't believe that the, the that Deontay Wilder really wants to fight. He says. AJ's focus is on Deontay Wilder, but we don't believe his team really wants to fight. So we got to look at other options. If AJ is to fight in the summer and it's not against uh, Deontay Wilder, then as long as Jarrell Miller beats Johan Duapaz on April 28th, that'll put Jarrell in a great spot to land a shot at Joshua. So, so he, here's, here's what all of that means to me. That means that they're playing games uh, with us. That's what that means to me, Sal, uh, because the truth of the matter is, is there is no reason, none, you can't convince me of any reason why um, Jarrell Miller deserves a shot at Anthony Joshua. There is no reason why. When you look at Jarrell Miller, here's a guy who's unbelievably ranked at number eight in the world by the computer. The WBC does not have him in their top 15, but the WBA, IBF, and WBO all have him ranked at number three. My question is, 
Why? There's one guy, one name on his resume. He's got 21 professional fights. Uh, he's got 20 wins and one draw. His draw against Joey Dwedgko. Come on, Joey Dwedgko isn't, shouldn't even be a heavyweight. He's got a draw against him. The only win on his resume that I would give him credit for is against Gerald Washington. But keep in mind, that was after Gerald Washington was already demolished. No, I I'm sorry. This is a, a joke. Both teams, Sal, uh, AJ's team and Wilder's team, are playing games with the boxing fans. They, I, I don't see it any other way. No, you're 100% right. You know what? 100%. I agree with you. Uh, and that's what's happening right now. They're going to have the rhetoric that they're, they're spewing out and uh, uh, pointing fingers at the other camp, not wanting to fight, when the reality of it is, like I said to you a long time ago, Bill, the old days when two people wanted to fight, they made it happen and gave us a great fight. And if these two warriors... Uh, are really serious about wanting to give the fans what they want to see, then they will stop their rhetoric, they'll stop their disputes, they'll stop everything pointing the fingers and saying why this, that, and everything else, and they'll get down to the table, the bargaining table, and they'll sign contracts, and they will give the fans what we deserve and what we want, and that's a great fight between the two of these two world champions. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, first of all, I got to... I got to give another shout out, uh, you know, thank God for the uh, super chat. But I want to give another shout out to my man, Willie, the same guy Willie. who shamed us into doing the uh, the super chat. Uh, uh, he, too, uh, says uh, this show has been uh, such an education for me. And, you know, I, I, that that's probably one of the most um, appreciated uh, responses we get from from a lot of fans that email me and stuff they say that they learn something by uh, watching and listening to this show and we do try to mix it with you know not only a discussion on the the latest boxing news but also from a historical perspective uh we like to make sure that that fans are are up to date uh on that and and also we try to you know present the show in an entertaining fashion so uh we appreciate when people recognize that so i just want to thank uh will for the uh, super chat and um you know I, the thing that bothers me the most sal is that today a lot of fans will buy into these types of of media press discussions negotiations whatever you want to call it uh, the truth of the matter is, is that if if either side, now I'm not pointing a finger at Wilder's side or AJ's side, but if either side would throw out uh, a, something that was, you know, accurate. In other words, uh, you know, AJ could say, or Deontay Wilder could say, I want to fight, he doesn't want to fight me. Uh, but then if he came back and said, okay, they made an offer. They offered us $100 to fight. We're not fighting for that. We want this. You know, then it gives you some substance. But that never is what happened. The only time that there was ever any kind of, of, of you know, pointing at what the, the offer was was the one time where Deontay Wilder's team turned down uh, $7 million plus U.S. television rights to fight him in England, to fight AJ in England. Other than that, I've never heard an offer. And I also love when I hear people say, oh, well, Deontay Wilder, they, made a, they offered such and such and, and AJ would fight. That's the other joke, Sal. Deontay Wilder's team has never made an offer. They're waiting for an offer that they can, you know, either accept or try to negotiate. They're trying to negotiate. Let's get the terms correct. They're trying to negotiate 
the offer from Team AJ. If Deontay Wilder had the money and had the backing and had the people that were willing to write the check and make a substantial offer to AJ, we would be talking a different tune right now, don't you think? Well, of course we would. And like I said, Billy, you know, before my Rip Van, Van Winkle uh, snooze fest uh, uh, in the 80s, let me tell you something. When I always say this, Bill. When two fighters wanted to get in the ring, it happened. They wanted to fight each other, it happened. The negotiations, the compromising, everything else was, was able to uh, be going through the motions just to get the fight done. And, you know, here it's a different world today. You know, you have... You have uh, this stipulation, that stipulation, this concession, this agreement. This one has this one. Wants this bargaining chip. No, that can't do this one. It's got to have that one. It's it's not that this has never happened. It has, but the magnifying effect of how much it has grown, and it's 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 so many variables now that come into play when negotiating and taking a fight and making it signed, sealed, and delivered. Oh, a fight of this magnitude, I should say, that it really does hurt the fans. Because, like I said, if two fighters really want to fight the best and they really want to be in the ring together, they will make it happen no matter what because they know that they believe in the, 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 the sport of boxing as being bigger than their own fight. So uh, that's, that's the, old, the old mentality, the old mindset in my eyes. Well, I've predicted all along that the fight uh, wasn't going to take place until uh, sometime 2019, and I still feel strongly about that. Sal, I, don't know, I know Bill, you're going to take it. Well, we'll see. But, uh, Sal, we'll be back to you a little bit later. I'm going to take a short break. When I come back, I'm scheduled to have Larry Hazard join us. Uh, so uh, don't go nowhere. Billy C. will be right back. Hey, fight fans. Check out KOFantasyBoxing.com. KO Fantasy Boxing is boxing's only trademarked fantasy game. Check it out, www.kofantasyboxing.com. Select your own gym, your own fighters. Track them through a season that can last from three months to a year, depending upon which league you join. you got to check this out, man, www.kofantasyboxing.com. Join it today. Again, www.kofantasyboxing.com, and tell them Billy C. sent you. The one, the only, Don King. Makes me feel good, Billy, to have you, the number one show in the country, talking boxing with Billy. So I invite each and every American that's listening to this great show to tune in. Because we want you to be there with Billy and me. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C., the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C., damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. The undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening 
to the Billy C. Show. Hey, don't forget, we want you to join us September 13th, 14th, and 15th uh, down on beautiful St. Simons Island. We're going to be having our next Billy C. boxing event. I know it sounds like a long way away, but you got to make your plans now. We're going to have some uh, boxing, former world champions and celebrities. We're going to do a meet and greet. We got a golf tournament happening, a fishing tournament. We're going to have uh, a fight night. We got some dinner going on at Sal's. We got uh, memorabilia, all that stuff. So uh, drop me an email if you want to get put on the list. Billy at Talkin' Boxing. T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. And uh, one of the guys we're going to force, whether we got to tie him up and throw him in the back of the car and bring him down, he's coming. This guy right now, my man Larry Hazard. Good morning, Larry. Hey, good morning, Billy. What's going on, my man? Hey, listen, good to be, just good to be around, man, I'm going to tell you. A little rainy out this morning, but not too cold. That's and it's not snow. I was just so going to say, if you would like, I, I could give you the whammy and have some more snowfall. I mean, I you know, you, you, what, what, you, you didn't get enough this year or what? Oh uh, no, man, I had enough snow. <laughs> snow hey. used to be fun when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, now it just it equals nothing more than a nightmare. But uh, uh, in any event. Hey, before we get started, I got to give a shout out to my man Joel, who uh, just gave us a super chat. Says uh, Sal and Billy C, best duo in boxing talk. Hey, I love it when people give us the accolades. Hey, um, Larry, this past weekend, Anthony Joshua fought Joseph Parker, unified uh, the titles. Now has all of the belts except for Deontay Wilder's. Uh, some people, uh, you know, feel that uh, the fight was a technical fight. Some people feel it was a boring fight. Um, you know, I saw some uh, some chinks in, in Anthony's uh, armor. I, I felt that he couldn't cut the ring off, uh, which bothers me. It's one of my pet peeves in boxing. When you reach a championship level, and I see so many times fighters that are, are, are champions that don't know how to cut the ring off. First of all, before we get deeper into it, what was your thoughts of, uh, of the fight itself? Well, I thought it was both technical and very boring and I tell you Joshua he actually lost some points from me you know I was always pretty high on him but it happens a lot with me I get I get so excited about um, fighters some fighters when they they come out when they first come out they they seem to be really really um, demonstrating that their breath of fresh air in the sport and then as time goes on, they seem to kind of, you know, just get back to normal. Uh, I was very excited, very, very excited about Joshua uh, a few fights back. Uh, man, right after that Klitschko fight, I was really, really, whoa, man, this guy, is, this is what we need in the heavyweight division. But now, uh, after seeing him um, this past weekend... And after having seen uh, what Deontay Wilder did uh, against Ortiz, you know, uh, he lost some points. I'm not so sure. And, you know, I'm always uh, willing to be pleasantly surprised, but I'm not so sure if he could beat Wilder now. I saw, like you saw, some things that if Wilder is paying attention, may be to his benefit when they do meet. Uh, but I'm willing to, um, you know, be fair about it. Sometimes a, a fighter with great skills 
oftentimes will fight to the level of the competition. And that could be the case with Joshua. I thought it was a technical fight also. And you must, you know, really be uh, a little bit more than a fan to enjoy some of the technicalities that are involved in the sweet science sometimes. Uh, Most basic fans, they just want to see excitement all the time, and we do expect a lot more from our heavyweights. But guys like you and I, Billy, who know a little bit more about the intricacies of the sport, have a greater appreciation for some of the technicalities, some of the technical stuff. And I saw some technical stuff on both sides. Uh, Parker, uh, I thought, was being very calculated and technical. I think he um, he put up a good challenge. Uh, Joshua, in my opinion, seemed to be in charge of the fight all the way through, although I thought that the score was much closer. Uh, I didn't think that Parker was getting credit for some of the stuff that he was doing, you know, and he showed that he does have some good technical skills. So uh, I, it was enjoyable. I, I'm, I'm not uh, one to try to criticize the old effort because I, I'm giving the guys credit for what they did. I thought that the fight was an enjoyable fight from a technical, a technical standpoint. I thought that the referee actually um, was, did a very poor job, and he may have taken away from some of what they were trying to do. Because every time they got to a point where they were willing and ready to really engage, the referee must have saw the camera. And so he interfered uh, during those um, opportunities. And so that also took away from what could have been a little bit more exciting of a, of a contest. You know, <laughs> I, yeah, I know the referee, everybody was blasting him. I, I was going to ask you about that. I heard one of the funniest things I saw uh, on social media. A guy says, a guy puts, I forget who said it, but it was funny. He says, uh, I'm, I'm going to bed now after watching Anthony Joshua against uh, Joseph Parker, but I'm afraid the referee is going to separate me from my sheets. <laughs> you know, I oh, mean, because okay. the, guy, the guy, it did seem bizarre. And like Dak said on our show the other day, he says, and he doesn't think he ever witnessed a referee actually trying to fix the tape. I mean, I don't know how long he was. I was wondering if he was going to wait for, for Anthony Joshua to trip over that tape before he stopped the action. Uh, but, uh, but the way I, I saw that is that uh, Joseph Parker was definitely one of the better uh, opponents. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of unfair to judge the two, um, even though I said basically the same thing, I said if you look at the last two fights of Deontay Wilder and you look at the last two fights of Anthony Joshua, uh, you'd have to believe that Deontay Wilder, if he would have caught AJ, would have come out victorious. But the bottom line is Deontay Wilder is a one-trick pony. He only has the power. Now, it's helped him in 40 fights already. We did see him establish a jab uh, bef- uh, bef- behind Mark Breland one time. Since then, he's he's been a headhunter. That's not really going to work with Anthony Joshua unless he lands and knocks out Joshua. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the... Uh, 
the 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 you know counter of all that. But what I saw with AJ was I saw discipline. I saw patience. I saw a guy that uh, you know. Uh, he couldn't cut off the ring. I wasn't happy about that. But but he, you didn't see him get frustrated and go charging in and make a mistake. It seemed to me that both fighters were waiting for the other guy to make a mistake. And Parker was limited at how close he could get. So his jabs and stuff weren't effective because he, he had that six-inch uh, uh, reach disadvantage. So he never was able to get in close. And every time he did, he would be in uh, AJ's wheelhouse for that uppercut and then the referee broke him up so I, the only positive thing I saw from AJ was that he was disciplined in a sense where he didn't fall into any traps and he seemed like the conditioning aspect was there he didn't seem to tire like he has in the past um, but uh, but like you uh, I'm sitting there shaking my head saying I don't know man Wilder uh, Wilder get, sneaks in one of those punches, and, and AJ might uh, find himself on, on the canvas. So uh, it's going to be interesting when and if they fight, which brings me to the next question. You're hearing all of this talk between these two, uh, you know, uh, Wilder, Team Wilder, and Team AJ. I want to fight. I'll do the kind. But you never hear the other part. You know, we offered him X, Y, Z, and they turned it down. Or, you know, uh, Eddie Hearn said yesterday, I, we don't believe he wants to fight. You know, I mean, he tells everybody, he screams it. I, I lost hearing in an ear listening to, to Deontay scream how much he wants to fight. Um, I wish they would just publicize the deal, like what was offered, why they're not taking it, etc. So you never know what to believe. What do you think? Well, I agree with I, I agree with you there. You know, you don't know what to believe, but I think it's just the normal wolf tickets that are being sold. I personally, I do believe that Wilder wants the fight. Uh, certainly, after looking at um, AJ's performance last week, if he if he was, you know, kidding around before, he should really be serious now, because that certainly should give him more of an incentive. But I do believe, I believe that Wilder wants to fight. And I don't question his heart. I don't question Wilder's heart anymore. You know, he, he put up, I, I'm willing to give people credit, especially fighters, credit. When they, when they put up, when they talk to talk, he walked the walk in his last fight against, uh, against a credible, a very credible opponent, Ortiz. Ortiz had him on the ropes, man. He came close to losing that fight. He got up off the canvas and he won. So I can I cannot criticize Wilder in the heart department or at this point in the ability to change the tempo of a fight and come out victorious. He showed me a lot, and I believe that he does want to fight uh, Joshua. I believe he wants to. And in my opinion, he stands a great chance of winning. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, they are both vulnerable um, in a lot of ways. But thus far, uh, Wilder's vulnerabilities have not you know, been to his detriment. He has shown that he has the power, and thus far, that's all he's needed Okay, to this point. Joshua, of course, he has a variety of skills. But however, uh, in the last fight, you know, he raised a lot of questions. 
But I do believe that, you know, they're doing more than just selling wolf tickets. I believe that they do want to. Are you there, Larry? Serious, wanna, yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, I thought I, I lost you for a second. Yeah, I'm still here. Right. You know, so I do believe that uh, Wilder wants that fight. And he stands a very good chance of winning. I think they both want the fight. I think once again, uh, you know, because you have all the other hands in both sets of pockets, that's who's preventing the fight. You know, uh, the old days, it was always up to the fighter. The fighter picks up the phone and says, I want the fight. Make the fight. I, I don't care what they offer. I want the fight. Um, you know, there's too many, too many tangibles uh, today. Uh, you know, Eddie Hearn saying, well, you know, Jarrell Miller is, is next if, if Deontay doesn't fight. Jarrell Miller has no business being in a fight. You know, the, 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 the issue I always have is, you know, make this fight. There's no reason for these two not to fight because it, once the winner emerges, we know we're going to get a second fight either way. And then, meanwhile, all those other guys that are trying to climb the ladder should do just that. Climb the ladder. Fight another contender. Show that you're worthy of fighting a champion. Jarrell Miller has no business even being in a discussion about fighting either of these two guys. So... Um, it's very disheartening. A uh, couple of we're we're getting pressed for time, and I gotta talk to you about a couple other things. Uh, first and foremost, the news that uh, uh, Triple G has uh, withdrawn. Uh, I'm sorry, Canelo has withdrawn from the Triple G fight. Um, uh, you know, uh, for whatever reason. I mean, this guy isn't even admitting that that he, you know uh, the evidence was against him. He, he still blames it on the tainted meat, which is, in my opinion, a joke. But the truth of the matter is, is this: my personal feeling, Larry, is that Triple G should move on. Um, September doesn't make sense for Triple G. He's going to be six months older. Uh, I think that Triple G should focus on Billy Joe Saunders. Should he beat Saunders and then decide that he wants to fight Canelo? later in the year, September, so to speak, then all of a sudden Triple G is in the driver's seat because he doesn't have to fight. There's no, Up until this point, Canelo, for some strange reason, was in the driver's seat. Right now, Triple G has a chance to switch sides. And for him to fight a guy like Spike O'Sullivan or anyone other than Billy Joe Saunders just does not make any financial sense to me. What's your thoughts? Oh, and you're right. You know, great minds do think alike. You know, go to the next best guy. And like... ...is the next best guy. And you're right again. Um, Triple G now is in the driver's seat. And and my hat goes off to uh, Bob Bennett uh, out at, at the, um, or to the Nevada Commission. Uh, I'm, I was pleasantly surprised that uh, the fight did not go on as scheduled because, you know, I'm a firm believer that money does dictate in the sport of boxing. And uh, for some some reasons, it, it should. Okay, but uh, Canelo has not admitted to this point anything other than that it was the meat. Okay, if you're going to stand by that, no problem. But he's no longer in the driver's seat as it comes to Canelo doesn't need him. I mean, um, Triple G doesn't need him now. Just move to the next guy. You know, time waits for no one. He's he's not getting any uh, younger. So go to Saunders, okay, which is probably um, the next, you know, biggest fight for him. 
And uh, if you if you're victorious there, when you circle back around, if Canelo is still available and willing to fight, and he stops eating meat, um, then they can meet again. They can still fight. So uh, that's the way I would move, you know. And if if his management is smart, that's the position that they push him in. And I think that um, I think that his management will see it that way. I believe that the Saunders fight will be next up for uh, Triple G. It, it's the only fight that makes sense. I mean, really. You know, if, if his goal is to unify all the belts, he's got a shot with Saunders. And quite honestly, Larry, yeah. he could go make the same money fighting in the U.K. I mean, he really yeah. can. And then come back and all of a sudden be the guy that makes the uh, – okay, hey, well, Canelo, I'm going to retire. You want to fight me? This is what it's going to cost. And it'll be the first time that he gets to dictate instead of just taking the fight, you know. So um, it is what it is. Uh, but, uh, uh, Larry, I, I got a couple of other uh, things. First and foremost, I got an email that was directed to you. Uh, it's it's from uh, my man Joel. He says, hey, Larry, I was very glad to hear that the UFC is returning to Atlantic City next month for a Fox Sports 1 card. It's been too long since the UFC has been uh, to the boardwalk. Are you hoping to work with the UFC so that they can make more trips to Jersey, specifically returning to Atlantic City, where they all got started uh, back 18 years ago? Um, what's your thoughts? Oh, well, he's right on with that. And, and I'll start with the uh, tail end of that. Yes, yes, indeed. I'm very happy that they're coming back because I've been pissed off at them for quite a while now. We got these guys off the ground when... No one else would accept them, and Donald Trump was very uh, instrumental in that. Oh, and I don't have to go back over the history of, you know, the establishment of the unified rules right in my office in Trenton. Um, uh, the the major event that they had at the old Taj Mahal in Atlantic City, and they took off, went to Vegas. Uh, they did a few shows here only because New York was not uh, allowing MMA in. So they wanted to stay close to New York. After New York got, uh, gave them a license, they forgot all about Jersey. So now they're back, and that's great. And I'm willing to forgive them because I look forward uh, to working with them. Um, MMA is a very popular sport, and I think that um, it's good for New Jersey. It's good for Atlantic City. So I'm looking forward to Dana White and those guys, even though they have a new, you know, new ownership, Dana is still there. Mark Ratner is still there. So we're very happy that they have finally returned uh, to where it all started for them. And we're looking forward to, uh, you know, uh, many, many more exciting uh, UFC events here. Uh, it's going to be a exciting night, April 21st at the Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City along with, um, you know, a resurgence, I think, um, of boxing uh, once the uh, Hard Rock opens, once the Revel opens. All of these uh, these houses are scheduled to open uh, this summer, this spring. And so we're looking for some uh, exciting things back here in Atlantic City again. So I'm happy that the UFC is back. Um, Larry, I, I got another question. Today... Um, right after your segment, actually, um, we're going to be doing a blast from the past on uh, former uh, two-division world champion Meldrick Taylor. Uh, 
And an interesting oh. thing has come up about Meldrick Taylor, and I don't mean to uh, ruin it for my viewers and listeners, but one of the things that we're going to be discussing is, you know, obviously his career, and one of the things has a direct connection to the uh, uh, New Jersey Boxing Commission uh, back in 2002. Um, the New Jersey uh, Boxing Commission wouldn't issue um, Meldrick Taylor a, a, a boxing license because he was d displaying slurred speech, et cetera, et cetera, and he refused to take uh, a head scan, and ultimately it was his last fight. Was that something that you were involved in, or do you have any uh, insight you can uh, share with us on that issue? Oh, absolutely. I refused to uh, give Meldrick. I refused to give Meldrick a license uh, back in, you say, 2002. I thought it was like 2001, somewhere around there. Yes, we were involved in that. Uh, Meldrick uh, had showed signs of slurred speech. Uh, he still does. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Meldrick uh, was acting, uh, you know, a little incoherent uh, in public. And, uh, you know, Meldrick was mad at me for a while um, because of that. But I was not going to uh, be a part of seeing any more harm, okay, other than what had already taken place with Meldrick. And he refused, as I recall, to, uh, you know, uh, go through the testing. So I refused to give him a license. And so I don't know if that was the final nail in the, uh, lack of a better term, in the coffin of his career. But I certainly uh, am, am glad to, to say that um, uh, I refused to give him a license. Uh, back during that time. I don't think he fought uh, anywhere after that. Shame on anyone who would allow him or who would have allowed him to fight, uh, especially without uh, taking uh, the, the test. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Meldrick's career was over, and I would do the same thing over again, not only for Meldrick, but for any other fighter that comes here. You know, Larry... <laughs> I know I threw, threw my, my idea out at you a, a while ago, but this is a, a, another great example. If fighters were required to undergo a, a head scan prior to being issued a federal ID, and it was kept you know, on file, and then you follow a professional uh, fighter's career, and then you know with reputable commissions like yours in New Jersey and New York and Nevada, where they require... Uh, head scans uh, on a regular basis and, and then many other uh, commissions also require them after a knockdown or a brutal fight depending upon uh, what the commission uh, views in terms of uh, suspension etc etc you build this uh, uh, whole paper trail if you will of head scans and then when there's a case like this that comes up and you have a fighter who's who's displaying you know, signs outside of the ring, and you want to make an educated decision, the doctors are then able to put up on the board all of those head scans. Here's the head scan from before he turned pro. Here's the one 
uh, you know, the first three years that was required, or first two years, whatever whatever commission he's fighting under. Here's the one after that knockout loss. Here's the one, uh, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, um, Larry Hazard ordered uh, recently, etc. And they can look and see. You know, look, this was the normal one. This is, look what's happened, you know. And, and they could do it. Rather than just take a shot, even in that case, if this guy never went through a head scan ever, and, and Larry Hazard orders a head scan in order to give him a license in the state of New Jersey, and a doctor looks at this head scan, even though you heard this guy slurring his speech and says, well, you know, it's within the tolerance of what a head scan should look like, there's chances that your hands are tied and you've got to let the kid fight. And really, it was made without an educated decision. And, and I just think that it's a no-brainer. And I, I'm just, it, it appalls me that, that money prevents this type of, of procedure from happening. Well, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And would you believe, Billy, in, in this day and time, there are still commissions that don't even require uh, head scans. Uh, we have this ABC organization to which, um, you know, uh, I, I really don't get too, too involved with them because, you know, you, you, you go to these conventions and you talk about everything other than um, unified medical requirements um, throughout the country. We still don't have them. Basic head scan. I'm not going to be party to some young young guy with a family getting killed uh, in the ring because in, uh, because of inadequate uh, examinations that fighters should undergo before going in to um, compete in a very dangerous sport. In my, in, in my opinion, you know, to talk about boxing safety, that's the greatest oxymoron uh, that you come up, that can come out of anyone's mouth. There's no such thing as boxing safety. Boxing is, is not a safe sport, okay? But what we try to do is minimize the dangers that we know are there. And one of the ways of minimizing some of these dangers is to make sure that these young men and now young women undergo as a stringent set of medical requirements that deal with detecting injuries in the head. The face and the head are not designed to be hit, but this is what we do, okay? So at least we want to minimize those dangers. And so to be party to allowing a young man or woman to go into a ring after displaying already that these dangers are there, that these um, problems are there, to me, is is a crime, and I'm not going to be party to it. I and agree yet, with you. I agree. You know, you got you got uh, schools around the country not wanting to let uh, tackle football be played until you know the 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 high school level now uh, because of head injury. And in boxing, they could take one simple precaution. And whether the fighter has to ante up the money, whether a promoter does, you know, it's well worth it. And and it's all about the safety. And by the way, before I let you go, I, too, gave Bob Bennett uh, credit for uh, uh, what seemed to be his uh, direction of, of suspending Canelo for a long period of time. Uh, and I've been very critical of Bob Bennett, uh, but I, I think he had to do 
uh, what he had to do. I mean, uh, you know, and, and it's a good, it's, it's in the long run, it's going to help because it's going to make other fighters think twice. Because if they bust yeah. Canelo, they'll bust me is what uh, people are going to think. But, uh, Larry, great time as usual. And I uh, look forward to you next week, brother. Okay, me too, Billy. I'll see you. All right, Stay my well. man. Take care. That's uh, Boxing Hall of Famer Larry Hazard giving us his thoughts. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, our blast from the past. Meldrick Taylor's up. Don't go anywhere. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an excellence in broadcasting award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. By morning. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, I want to thank my man Joel uh, for another Super chat, uh, this time just for reading an email. And really, we don't require that. If you take the time to drop us an email, Billy at Talking Boxing, T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com, we'll take the time to read it. But uh, my man Joel, always looking for ways to help in this show out. And trust me, I, I appreciate everything that all you guys do. Um, from the bottom of my heart, I actually got a tear welting up in my eye right now, but, but I'm going to put that behind me because right now it's time for our blast from the past, which is being sponsored, uh, in part by KOFantasyBoxing.com. So check that out. KOFantasyBoxing.com. Sign up today. Don't miss out on that. And it's also being brought to us in part by the title bout championship computer game. Download your copy right now right on BillyCBoxing.com. Uh, this week, uh, our blast from the past features former multi-division world champion Meldrick Taylor. And telling us, coming on to tell us all about Meldrick Taylor is uh, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend himself. Oh, wait a minute. That's Sal Rocky Senecola. No, no, no. Come in to join us right now. Our very own scholar, Alex Perpally. Good morning, Alex. It's... Pierre Pally, I, I know. I've been murdering your name for ten years now. Oh, the scholar. I'm yeah. like, uh, well, you what are. Was that guy uh, Darren, uh, the schoolboy Van Horn? Yeah, yeah, but you're, you're, you're the. You know, when whenever I need to 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 point out somebody that's got you know some uh, excellence in literature and you know scholastically, I, I always go well. Nah, you don't want to talk to me. You don't want to talk to Sal. You need to talk to Alex because he's our guy. You know, the rest of us are just boxing people. But uh, I, and, I only have a BA. <laughs> I got. I do a lot of BSing, but that's besides the point. But uh, uh, anyway, um, I, you know, just to uh, I know you uh, chatted me up in one of the chat rooms about the uh, uh, the ending of Meldrick Taylor's career, and it was. Uh, uh, I had assumed, actually, that Larry was involved, and he confirmed that he certainly was, so we could get to that uh, later. But uh, it just goes to show you, just off topic for a second, Alex, that, you know, a good commission makes a stand when they have to, right? 
absolutely. That was um, absolutely just terrific to hear uh, from Larry, that bit of insight. And I think that in a way it um, it does sort of jive with um, what's going on this week, I think, uh, to, in, in boxing today, because I think part of what forced Canelo to, and Golden Boy to make the move they did was um, Las Vegas saying, look, we're not going to sweep this under the rug. We are going to have a hearing. Um, and I think that that's it, the way Larry described it is that it comes down to more than that, uh, is that um, you realize that uh, at least if you're a responsible uh, member of boxing, you realize that, hey, uh, I'm in a position where I can prevent this guy from damaging himself any further. And like Larry said, it was something he didn't want to have on his conscience. Um, and uh, he made the right decision. And I think that's great. That's what our sport needs. You know, uh, that sort of sense of uh, responsibility that people should. I mean, these guys give, and this is a perfect example. These guys give us so much in in the name of entertainment, sports entertainment, really. Uh, you know, it's a spectacle boxing. It's both sport and spectacle because the stakes are so high. Uh, it's incredibly dangerous, and you know Meldrick Taylor is uh, is a you know great warning of that. Yeah, well, you know it's happened. It's a familiar story, like you uh, allude to. I mean, it, it's you know it goes all the way back uh, to the bare knuckle days, and you know the the worst part about it. And Larry and I have talked about this many times is when you have an organization and I'll call them out like the ABC who claims that they're looking for the safety of the fighter or even in the past, uh, like Bob Bennett, oh, all we care about is the safety of the fighters. And then they don't act on that, even though he, he seems to be at this point, uh, Bennett, Mr. Bennett. Uh, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, is don't say you care about the safety of the fighters and then do something different. There's some, listen, it's a contact sport. Like you've always said yourself, Alex, you know, the, the, the main purpose is to render your opponent unconscious. I mean, those are your exact words, and that's true. And the, the fact is, it's a, it's a tough sport. It's, it's, a, it's in the mean business, you know. It's in, it's in the, uh, the realm of, you know, uh, definitely brutal. You know, but yeah, the it's truth legalized assault. Exactly. But the truth is, is there are steps you could take to make it as safe as possible. And one simple step is to have a set of, of head scans on file and prevent guys. You gotta save them from themselves. Isn't isn't that the best way to describe it? Because a fighter's mentality, they're never gonna feel susceptible. They're never gonna feel like uh, you know, they're beatable in, in any way, shape, or form. That's the nature of their personality. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why I think the, the uh, at least mainstream media uh, avoids boxing uh, coverage because boxing is complicated. It's um, it, there's because there's hypocritical sort of contradictory things at play there. It is this sort of Gordian knot of of sport because it um, it's brutal and it's bad for you, but at the same time it's beautiful. Uh, it's something human beings have always done uh evolutionarily um they've actually more advanced primates have bones that sort of line up to absorb shock better in modern uh like homo sapiens and the subsequent humans that uh species that came uh after you know uh australopithecus that um showed that 
fist fighting, the ability to fist fight had some sort of evolutionary purpose. Uh, so it is, and you know, like Larry Murch, I mean, uh, I think it was Max Kellerman who has said, is that you could be at a bat, there could be a basketball game, a uh, baseball game, and a hockey game on all three corners of, uh, of a block. And on the corner that's the fight, the crowd is running to go see the fight. Exactly. Um, well, it's evident when it, like a ball game happens and everybody's watching a game and all of a sudden a fight breaks out in the stands. Everybody's looking over at that. You know, they were not watching the game. Hey, listen, I just want to make a statement. You know, you mentioned homo sapien. I, I don't really hold anyone's sexual preference against them. So just, you know, just they, they, we don't have time for that on the show. <laughs> gotcha. You know, <laughs> but anyway, we better start talking about Melgic Taylor. Otherwise, I'm not going to ask you about all the other stuff, man. Yeah. All right. So, and this guy is certainly deserving. You know, I don't know, Bill, if you have his autobiography, but I, I guess he did write one, uh, Two Seconds to Glory. Uh, it looks like it was a self-published book. Um, I'm going to see if uh, that's something you, you, you know, look for up in Canastota. Uh, but yeah, Meldrick Taylor, um, born in Philadelphia, October 19th, 1966. He was five foot seven inches tall. Uh, he started boxing in um, around eight years old, uh, and uh, he was boxing at the Henley Boys Club. It was on Frankfurt and Kensington, uh, for all you uh, Philly fans out there. Uh, he was in exceptional as an amateur, um, at very uh, quick learner. He went 99 and four in terms of his uh, his amateur record, and of course he was on the famous 1984 uh, Los Angeles uh, Olympic team that had so many other greats. That had uh, Tyrell Biggs, Vander Holyfield, uh, Pernell Whitaker, of course. And you know, in a way, he was sort of um, he was the youngest gold medalist. Um, when he, at, at, and I don't know if that's, that's probably still a record. I, I don't, it doesn't come off. I didn't check and it um, doesn't come off hand that there's somebody younger who won a gold medal than he did. But uh, he signed with main events afterwards and uh, really was just a remarkable um, prospect. Uh, he reminded people of Sugar Ray Leonard, which with uh, just blazing hand speed, uh, incredible uh, combination punching, and uh, just a lot of fun to watch. Very slick fighter, um, but he always mixed it up. This is the kind of guy that um, that was. If anything, that is what led to uh, a, a part of what led to his um, demise as a professional was uh, that he liked combat um he liked to stand there and trade um he had the speed to be more of an elusive fighter but um he had that desire to go uh tooth and claw with just about everybody i guess the, even in the gym uh the duvas when they started working with him georgie benton was one of his trainers uh they all it, it was always uh, one of those things where they had to sort of hold him back and tell him to get out of the ring. Uh, they'd rather he'd go 20 rounds on the heavy bag um, because if it was up to him, he'd go 20 rounds of sparring with four different sparring partners every session. So uh, you do wonder if that, uh, more than just um, the Chavez uh, fight, is also what uh, did significant um you know, neurological damage to him. 
Hey, speaking of which, you know, I have a note uh, on that fight. Um, the first time that he fought uh, Julio Cesar Chavez twice, and this is really a, just a bone I'm throwing at a at coach because, you know, people are always talking, especially young fans that, that don't know, and they always put the Mayweather 50, you know, oh, he broke Rocky Marciano's record, and, you know, we try to, to ground people and explain to them that it's only significant for the heavyweights, and right now Deontay Wilder has actually a legitimate shot at, at uh, you know, tying or even breaking that record. But in 1990, the first time that uh, Meldrick Taylor fought Julio Cesar Chavez, Chavez went into that fight 68-0. and 68 and 0. And then when he Great. fought him the, the last time in 94, Chavez was 90 wins, one loss, and one draw. So please, when people start telling me what a great achievement Mayweather had by uh, getting to 50 and 0, uh, they got to look into the history books, don't you think? Yeah, it is. Uh, that is a very impressive record. And it was an enormous fight. And I, I tell you, it, it's kind of crazy when you look back because um, it occurred just 34 days after. Uh, Buster Douglas had shocked the world in Tokyo and stopped Mike Tyson. So, boy, 1990 was uh, a hell of a year. Um, and, of course, the thing that's crazy about it is as good of a fight as uh, uh, Douglas Tyson was, um, Meldrick Taylor versus Julio Cesar Chavez, of course, was an all-time classic. I mean, I was watching it last night you don't see fights like that very often um and they're even rarer today we still do in terms of brutality but the thing about this bill was that this was a fight it was pure just who could hurt the guy, other guy the most but it was also two of the premier fighters in the sport at the time. I mean, like you said, you know, over 60 wins. Chavez was considered one of the pound-for-pound pound guy. And Meldrick Taylor, you know, was taking a shot at that. And that's what's... I mean, you could spend the whole uh, blast talking just about this fight. Because it it is... There's so many things, again, like I mentioned, the, at that Gordian Knot idea. There's so many things about this fight. There's tragedy. There's major, amazing things about it. There's uh, controversy. Um, but uh, the brutality of it is just is, is remarkable. And I think that um, one of the things that it's so obvious when you watch it, it's just Taylor's dominating. He's absolutely dominating the guy who most everyone thought was the best on earth. Yeah, well, Taylor Taylor was an extremely uh, talented fighter. There's no question about it. He, he was a guy that, you know, had it all. And when you look at his resume and you see some of the wins, I, they speak for themselves, not to mention, you know, it, it really doesn't surprise you that he was that kind of guy, uh, you know, being born and raised in Philly. I mean, uh, what a... What a place for uh, for fighters, but you know, going all the way back uh, to the mid '80s, Har I mean, wins that he had against uh, Harold Brazier and and Primo Ramos and uh, James uh, Buddy McGirt when he won his first world title, and and that's a guy that I feel is is underrated uh, big time. You know, uh, veteran fighters like Jamie Balboa and uh, um, 
you know, he lost to, to Chavez, but then he came back and beat Aaron Davis and Luis Garcia, Glenwood Brown, who, who was uh, a, a big name and a quality fighter as well. You know, he did lose to Terry Norris, but that was moving up uh, in weight. He, he was a, a junior middleweight that he challenged and came back down. Um, you know, his last big fight was his second fight against Julio Cesar Chavez in which he was stopped. Um in 1994, he did continue uh, for another seven years of his career, but never reached that level again. I mean, he did fight and win uh, some some you know uh, rising stars, some names, etc. But um, never got back to that to that world champion level. And and you know, as we know now, it it, it could have been a result of of you know his failing health. I mean, uh, that could very well have been it. Oh, yeah. And I think that if there is a fighter where and I think you and uh, Sal, uh, I have to see that documentary that you did about um, the uh, Perrette uh, former fight. But if there's a fight, a fighter that I can remember, you know, watching his whole career and thinking, boy, there's that guy's never been the same after one particular fight. Uh, this is definitely the guy. Um, because he was never the same after, even though, like you said, he did beat Aaron Davis. Uh, for me, I really got turned on to Meldrick Taylor. I was a big Buddy McGirt fan, so I was rooting for Buddy McGirt when that fight happened. And I remember just in Taylor's performance, uh, that's a really fun fight to watch. And uh, Taylor sort of won me over. So I was certainly rooting for him against Chavez. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, I was watching some of Legendary Nights. I'm not sure if it's all of the Legendary Nights. HBO, of course, did that series of boxing documentaries, and they picked certain fights. That was one of them, and I think it's probably the most popular one. People, I mean, when you go to Canastota, Billy C., this is the fight almost, I mean, don't wouldn't you think that the fight people probably bring up most when you talk to them in Canastota, other, why, other than, like, whatever's the big fight that's on the horizon at the time, if they talk about classic fights, almost all of them, everybody has feels one way or the other about the stoppage. Um, one of the things in that Legendary Nights that I was going to say that I thought was a little weird, at least the clip that I saw, is the uh, Lou Duva claimed that they had a problem with Richard Steele being appointed because of how he had judge some uh ref some tyson fights now i think that's incorrect because uh the tyson ruddick fight was the one that people thought was you know a, a don king favored stoppage for mike tyson because it, you know ruddick got stopped kind of quick but that occurred exactly one year and one day after the Meldrick Taylor fight. So I, I don't know what he's pointing to, and uh, maybe you do, about uh, Richard Steele like being some pro Don King ref. But of course, everybody who doesn't know, if you watch the fight, it's it's sensational. Um, Meldrick is way ahead, just blazing hand speed, and uh, but he's by like the tenth round, you're noticing, wow, his eyes are swelling because Chavez is getting in. Very few punches around, but the ones he gets in are mean, nasty, bruising, damaging punches in close because Meldrick's standing right in front of him. Uh, the Duva uh, team, the, the 
the strategy was to keep Meldrick off the ropes, uh, keep Chavez in the center of the ring, and just give him like a smaller square within the square. And uh, Meldrick Taylor did it, but the problem was that he was always in punching distance, and uh, he was getting beat up. And by the time you get to like the 10th, 11th, 12th round, it's very clear that Meldrick Taylor has been beaten up. And in that 12th round, it, it, another big knock uh, on team uh, the Taylor team was that they told him he needed the round. He didn't need the round. Uh, and when you watch it, Sugar Ray Leonard, one of the commentators with HBO, has a moment where he says, this is freakish, he said, because look at what's going on right here. Meldrick Taylor's the aggressor. And he is. He's pressing the action in round 12, a round he doesn't need. And, um, you know, but that's what, in a way, that's smart by Chavez was that he he just waited for him and broke him down and didn't care about losing points. He was breaking the guy down. You know, it's such a controversial game plan because we've seen it. We, we saw it with... with Oscar De La Hoya fighting Floyd Mayweather. You know, when it, you, you can't assume what the what the judges are seeing, you know, and, and I could see a corner man giving instructions to a fighter who on most cases are is winning the fight and just, you know, don't become complacent, don't, you know, do this, do that. But you are 100% correct against a fighter like Julio Cesar Chavez who was the kind of guy who tried to break you down and wait for his shot going into that last round, you know, maybe be somewhat aggressive, but be safe, uh, you know, to suggest that you have to win by knockout or you need this round to win to to press your fighter, especially in the final round, um, is is a stupid is stupid advice in my opinion. As far as the Richard Steele controversy, that is, you, I agree with you, it is one of the things that are constantly discussed and, it, and Richard Steele's career was never the same after that. Uh, you know, in his defense, which he says that he never knew, you know, he doesn't watch at the time. He's just, you know, caring about the fighters, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which I've always said to myself, well, you, you do know the time because you're hearing 10-second warning uh, war bells or whatever. Um, he waved off that fight. The unwritten rule is you got a fighter who's, winning a fight he deserves some kind of uh, of of chance the the other fight that people argue was the tommy hearns sugar ray leonard fight you know a guy where tommy hearns was winning that fight uh for the majority and then he gets in trouble in that 13th round or whatever it was and uh uh the fights immediately waved off yes you know you want to look out for the safety of the fighter um in meldrick taylor's case and in tommy hearns both cases could have been well the ropes are keeping them up you know let's see how they react after an eight count you know so i, I don't know it's uh neither here nor there but it is a historical uh controversy that will never go away oh and one of the things too about it is there's blame in every direction because um you like you said in a way, you can't fault the Duva team because they're in Vegas. They know Chavez. People want to protect his record. Uh, he's the Don King fighter. Um, maybe it was smart to box, uh, to come out hard in the 12th round. Uh, Chuck Jampa had uh, Chavez ahead. 
but the other two judges had Taylor comfortably ahead. The other thing that happens, I mean, think about it. this is in that um, in that uh, little get together they had that time when Mike Tyson and Larry Holmes uh, were at the Turning Stone Casino and just talked to fans uh, one year before um, uh, the Canastota weekend, their big the big induction weekend. Uh, one of the things Mike Tyson says in that little uh, get together was, "One second is such an eternity." in a fight and this that fight is a perfect example so much goes on because it was two seconds left on the clock two ticks of the clock um one of the things that was happening and this is another mistake for duva he was rushing up 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 the ring kenny bayless who was security at that time he wasn't a referee yet was running to stop lou duva because you're not supposed to go into the ring he could he could have gotten his fighter disqualified now was he running up to stop the fight or was he running up because he thought the round was over somebody in his corner said the round is about to end um the other thing so taylor gets distracted by seeing his cornerman on the apron the other thing that happened is if if richard Steele had taken just a second and looked over his shoulder chavez had drifted way out of the neutral corner he could have taken one second to say hey get back in there by the time he turns back the bell's rung so there's so many things that could have happened. In a way, you can't, and you have to come back down to this, the referee, no matter how much time is left, is supposed to make the decision about, is this fighter ready to go out? And he didn't say, I'm okay. And the thing about it was he was brutalized. Looking at Meldrick Taylor, he was a mess. He had gash in his lip that had been bleeding since like the second round. Uh, when they took him to the hospital later, he had lost two pints of blood. He was urinating blood. He had broken an orbital socket around his eye. Um, the next day, he went to a press conference that um, where the Duvas argued that you know it was a bad stoppage and they were very angry, wanted to try to get some sort of restitution if they could. Um, the doctors told him, you're not going, you should stay here. And Taylor said, no, I'm going, and just appeared at the press conference with um, dark glasses and a little uh, you know, butterfly closure on his face. But um, he claimed that he had been seeing multiple images of Chavez uh, from early on. So, you know, he had blurred vision from that broken eye socket. So it was it's, it was an amazing thing. I mean, there was no question Richard Steele had a very damaged fighter in front of him. Hey, Alex, we're out of time, my man. Just give us oh, a sorry. quick give us a quick uh, uh, title bout summary. Oh, uh, he did extremely well against, um, I put him in because he was a welterweight and junior welterweight, junior welterweight badass. I put him against Mikey Garcia, and the first time he fights him, he beats him by unanimous decision. Two scards, cards of 115-113, one card of 114-113. When they fight 100 times, Meldrick dominates 63 victories, 27 defeats and 10 draws he stopped mikey garcia 14 times i'm not sure i think he might have had some problems with garcia um garcia was able to score 15 ko's in his 27 victories 
I also, for the hell of it, put him in against Keith one time Thurman because he did have fights at welterweight, of course. He beat Aaron Davis at welterweight. Uh, he dominates Keith Thurman over 100 fights, 78 victories, 19 defeats, three draws. He's stopped one time, 13 times. Very good. Uh, great job, uh, as usual, Alex. Uh, Meldrick Taylor, former world junior welterweight. And, and Alex, this is another guy I think should be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. But, uh, uh, you know, it is what it is. But Meldrick Yeah, Ta I mean, I would put him in there over Gotti. No, I. I mean, you know, come on. I, thrills I, and thrills at the top of the world, at the I, top of the sport. I know. Meldrick Taylor, former world junior welterweight and welterweight champion. He did challenge for the junior middleweight title. Had a career record 38 wins, 20 by knockout, eight losses. Uh, which he was stopped four times, one draw, 338, uh, I'm sorry, 328 rounds with a 43% uh, percent knockout uh, ratio. Meldrick Taylor, our blast from the past today. Alex Perpali, great job as usual. We're going to take a short break. When I come back, we'll have uh, Sal Rocky Senecola back with us. Don't go nowhere. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where back you're listening and watching to the billy c show hey don't forget about our next billy c boxing event it's taking place september 13th 14th and 15th in st simon's island you're not going to want to miss this one that's for sure if you want to get some info on it uh and you haven't heard us mention it on this show just drop me an email billy at talking boxing that's t-a-l-k-i-n B-O-X-I-N-G.com. And uh, speaking of uh, the St. Simons area, I want to give a shout-out to, uh, uh, in Brunswick, WGIG on the iHeartRadio Network, 1440 AM, who uh, plays us all the time. And joining me uh, right now uh, is my man Sal, who loves to listen to himself on uh, WGIG, <laughs> don't you? I do, and boy, I'll tell you. I listen Sunday mornings where they play us, and I want to thank again uh, Scott Rifen and all the staff at the 1440 WGIG Brunswick, Georgia, for allowing us the opportunity to broadcast the show. And, Bill, you have no idea how many fans we are gathering and gaining down here. I mean, I, uh, I, I go to the UPS store to do some work. There's a guy who comes up to me when he heard someone call, my Sal, call me Sal. And he says how much he enjoys. He works all night, the night shift, in a warehouse. And on the way home, he drives home. He loves the show. It, it revitalizes him. He loves to listen. And then for Easter, I took my family to church. And who? One of my favorite priests, a uh, great guy, uh, and uh, Father Jim. Uh, he said, and he mailed me some piece on Carlos Monzon, as a matter of fact. Uh, really interesting pieces on Carlos Monzon. He's a big fight fan. And he says that he listens to us every Sunday morning before church. And I said, wow, that's great, Father. And I, I thanked him. He says he loves the show. So I want to give a big shout-out and say hi to Father Jim. He's a great man. And uh, we love to have everybody down here uh, also listen to our show. So thank you so much for your support. And let's let Scott Rife know at WGIG 1440 that you do enjoy listening to us. Thank you. 
I got to give a special shout out to my man George Russell from uh, WSMN 1590 uh, in Nashua uh, and all the other affiliates uh, that I don't happen to have the call letters in front of me. <laughs> but I uh, can't keep uh, all these shout outs. Sal, if we gave shout outs to every TV and radio network we were on these days, uh, we wouldn't have time to talk about stuff like this right now. Mayweather. You remember him, you know, Floyd Mayweather. Floyd, um, yes, He, uh, Floyd. apparently, the, the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission uh, has a new uh, a task force called the Cyber Unit. And um, apparently yesterday, or actually uh, on Monday, uh, it announced that it's uh, arrested and charging founders of a country called Centratech uh, that they basically uh, fraudulently uh, stole money from investors and the na main guy that helped drive people to them was Floyd Mayweather. Apparently, Centratech paid uh, for Floyd's endorsement, who touted the com company on his own Instagram and Twitter accounts, telling his followers to invest their money into the ICO, which they did. And uh, Mayweather claimed that he put his money in there, and now the uh, SEC is charging uh, the uh, 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 Mayweather sponsor uh, with fraud. So it uh, just goes to show you, just because uh, uh, somebody says to do something, it's like what my mom used to say. If your friend Johnny told you to jump off the bridge, would you jump off the bridge? Yeah, well, you know, I don't know if Johnny says so, Ma. You know, but uh, what's your uh, thoughts on uh, Mayweather aligning himself with a fraudulent company, Sal? Well, it, it's never good, and you never want to be on the bad side of the SEC or NASD or any one of those, uh, uh, I feel like saying sanctioning bodies or those regulatory commissions. I mean, I uh, spent many, many years with my securities license and uh, was with Northwestern Mutual Life. And boy, we had to document every little thing we did. We got to cross our T's, dot our I's, make copies, do this, do that. And it, 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 it was just for this purpose, to make sure that everything was on the, uh, above board and on, on top of the table. And this could be a bad situation. And uh, even uh, to stick up for Floyd, him being maybe an unknowing uh, partner or, a, or a, a voice to direct these people, yeah, for compensation. But, uh, you know, maybe he should have looked before he leaped uh, in a sense that to, to be uh, aligned in such a, such a thing. Because once the SEC opens up that book, they, uh, they're relentless and they like to get the facts straight. This is how they do protect the unknowing public so my hats off to them and i hope uh hope it all uh, comes out well my in defense to floyd mayweather you know yeah. here's a guy that is just so money hungry that he took the payoff to to endorse this company and then the company turns out to be fraudulent i mean the only thing that they're doing now is they're just tying floyd's name with this they, they can't possibly charge floyd with no knowing no, it and unless yeah. unless they find that he knew that it was a right. big scam, but that that's you know that, that's too much uh, effort and money on their case. But wait, there's more because <laughs> not only is Floyd in some trouble, uh, but uh, Adrian Broner's at it again. Uh, he uh, uh, is now that. being sued by uh, the woman that uh, Kayla Cruz. Uh, who uh, he groped in in her genitalia area uh, in a Georgia mall. Uh, apparently, uh, she's suing him, and her attorneys say that uh, she's suing him for the 
um, emotional distress and the physical injuries she suffered. So, you know, some of these guys got to learn how to uh, keep their hands to themselves. But uh, got a couple of emails I want to read real quick as we're running quickly out of time. Uh, this is from uh, uh, my man Mitch. He says, uh, uh, you know, uh, and concerning uh, Canelo, he says, uh, you know, it leads me to these questions. I have to question his character. I listened to the press conference. This guy still claims it was the meat. He also claims he's never cheated and never will. He has a doctor who's over-explaining the meat contamination situation in Mexico. He's got doctors explaining uh, the numbers fall into meat contamination range. He has the WADA, W-A-D-A, appointed doctor who's going to say the same. He has the WBC and WBA already back in his story. You can't even. You even had the WBC uh, head to. Uh, uh, reasons why they can't suspend him. Uh, so why are you withdrawing at this point? He's asking Triple G. Uh, I'm sorry, Canelo. An innocent person would have taken this case to the hearing and fought no matter what uh, the Nevada State Athletic Commission uh, said or did. Uh, the Nevada State Athletic Commission wasn't going to find you innocent now that you withdrew. So why not pretend it stick to it and fight it? Uh, he says, uh, Mitch says to him, uh, he sees that it's even more of an indication that he's guilty uh, at any other time since uh, uh, since uh, uh, being popped. Uh, he feels that this withdrawing backfired. He has absolutely zero respect and even less belief for Canelo at this point. Then to make it all worse, he tried to make Triple G uh, look like uh, he didn't want to fight him. Uh, by making the accusations that he's a cheetah. Uh, he says, to me, this is a big red flag of guilt. I got to be honest with you, Sal. I agree with my man, Mitch. You know, if you're that adamant about being innocent, you fight it to the max. You know, I mean, uh, you don't withdraw. To me, that proves guilty. And to suggest Triple G didn't want the fight, it sounds more to me, like we talked about in the beginning of the show, that Canelo... Uh, withdrew so he could add another six months onto it. I I'm telling you, I'm very feel I feel very strongly about Triple G not even wanting to fight Canelo. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, Bill, you you said it earlier, and this could be a ploy on Canelo's part, but also, I will tell you this: that the number one uh, alert alarm that went off in my head when you were telling us a story earlier was exactly what Mitch was saying. I, I was saying if Canelo is is that innocent of this and he is going to stay with the story of the unknowing ingestion of, uh, ingestion of the, the tainted meat, then he should stick to it. He should stay with it and he should ride it to the, to the date and show up for the fight. If it's not stopped by the commission, if it's not going on, he should have played the cards out and stayed with his story because by him pulling out and, and canceling that and everything else also does show that, you know, maybe – Maybe he does have uh, something to uh, to hide. I don't know. That would be my opinion. Um, we got one other email here. And just so people understand my comment, I, I, I don't think – I'm not agreeing with Canelo. I don't think that Triple G used that to get out of the fight. I feel at no. this stage Triple G should move on and forget about Canelo. He doesn't need Canelo. Uh, like I said to Larry earlier, it's the first time that uh, actually Triple G could find himself – in the driver's seat of a possible negotiation when and if he decides to fight Canelo in September. At this point, there's one fight, in my opinion, for Triple G, and that's Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, final email I got today is uh, from my man, Coach. 
He says uh, two and one. Uh, the one is the uh, uh, Mayweather, uh, um, uh, you know, in, in his connection with the uh, fraudulent case that I just mentioned. The other one is, uh, he says, uh, after waking up from my nap during the uh, Anthony Joshua, Joseph Parker fight and killing time reading about boxing and, and uh, television, while all this uh, all kinds of wide results, I found a strange point of information. When it comes to boxing in terms of viewership, putting aside pay-per-view uh, pay fights and during the top fights of 2017 that were on TV were Pacquiao versus Horn, uh, 3.1 million on ESPN, uh, 4.4 million via cable, which was Keith Thurman and Danny Garcia, a CBS uh, broadcast cable uh, fight, did uh, 2.2 um, Lomachenko versus Rigondeaux 1.85 on cable and on a straight television broadcast Spence Peterson peaked at 700,000 uh, HBO Crawford Diaz was reported slightly under a million he says what's strange is finding uh, in comparison the new Roseanne TV show debuted and had 25 million uh, people. What does boxing need to do? Um, truthfully, uh, boxing would never compete with that kind of a show. And, and the reason is simple. Television, there's such a wide scope of um, you know, topics or, or types of shows, etc. Sports is a niche on television it's sports on television is a niche within other television shows boxing is a niche within sports so you got a niche within a niche it'll never i got a niche uh, i got a niche on my back but oh no no that's a niche but no um the the truth of the matter is is that um boxing will never uh have those numbers and i'm not suggesting that coach was was uh trying to make that point it could never have those numbers but what it could show and the numbers that he is showing in comparison to uh roseanne are a hell of a lot larger numbers than they had been several years previously with the exclusion of the big big pay-per-view fight so um i think boxing is is well on its way and again you know I, i'm an italian american and i'm an american first but kudos to to the uk and the rest of europe and the ukraine because in a way, they're forcing the interest in boxing. And they're, able, they're being able to do it with fighters that are basically selling themselves. What's happening is these fighters that nobody's ever heard of all of a sudden is put on television. And you may have a casual fan that tunes in. Next thing you know, you got a regular fan now. A fan that wants to see more of Lomachenko. Or wants to see more of Anthony Joshua or, or you know, all the other uh, fighters that, you know, Kell Brook was a great example uh, that, uh, uh, you know, are busting onto the scene. You know, the, their willingness to fight whoever, whenever, wherever is appreciated by fans, Sal. And, and once again, the American boxing uh, uh, people, the, the fighters themselves, are missing the boat. They're, they're being coaxed into listening to advisors that are telling them all about the money, which I agree about making the most money, but you can't just... Jarrell Miller is a perfect example. This man has no business fighting for any title, let alone a world title, and he's going to get a shot just because he's he, of his mouth. This is a guy that can't pass a buffet. I mean, come on. What do you think? 
Well, I'll tell you, you you make some good, valid points, Bill, and uh, it is true. You 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 say it all the time. I mean, a lot of the reasoning behind it is because we got non-boxing people uh, directing and commanding the direction of the sport at hand, and uh, sometimes this is something that really is just boils down to the nuts and bolts of business in boxing, and you know, there's politics in boxing and and everything else that that goes in into play it comes into play so um you know that's why there are so many uh as i say uh use the word minutia the things going on under the table that uh to 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 produce to make to get things done it's just it's just not as easy as it used to appear to be no it's not but i mean where do you think it should go from here well, I, I think again, I think it needs a little little clarification. I think uh, I think we need to to uh, um, have it a little more transparent. Uh, the sport of boxing, and I think you know uh, that the, the the relation between the fighters, the promoters, and as well as being tied in with the fans, I think there need to be more of a um, an opportunity here, like I said, for the transparency, parency to uh, to have these fights. Uh, on a surface being made and, and being, you know, made with the the idea that uh, it, everything's above board. The, the bottom line for me, Sal, and I'll just yeah. leave it at this, it, there's just a more obvious willingness of fighters outside the U.S. to fight. I mean, forget about who it's against, where it is. I mean, how much am I getting paid? All of that seems to be a sideline story. With U.S. fighters, it's the other way around. The first story is how much how much you pay me, how much I get paid, you know, and then everything else is a sideline. Who it's against, where it is, blah blah blah. They don't care. It's the money first, and that is hurting the sport. It hurt the sport for so many years, and we finally seem to be turning that corner. And if the U.S. fighters aren't careful. The uh, rest of the world is going to take over this sport. And like uh, we've said on this show, and Dax brought it up several months ago, you know, boxing is clearly a global sport. It doesn't clearly need, it they don't need to come to the U.S. anymore. You know, guys like uh, Eddie Hearn are proving that. Guys like Anthony Joshua, who sell out stadiums, 80,000 people, they're proving it. You know, and, and then when I hear these people, ah, they sell the tickets for nothing. That's BS. They're, where do you think all that money's coming from? They're not selling the tickets for nothing. You know, uh, U.S. fighters better get with it, man. You know, not just talk to talk, but walk to walk. Deontay Wilder could set a precedence. You know, he could take what they offer him and have it back end. Beat, go over and beat Anthony Joshua, then come back in the U.S. and make that, that you know, $50 million. You know, so um, yep. that's what I think. But anyway, uh, on this day in boxing history, boys and girls, April 4th, in 1990, 90, I'm sorry, 1990, 1990, 1990, okay, uh, Juan Nazario knocks out Edwin Rosario in the eighth round to win the WBA uh, World Lightweight title. It took place at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Edwin Rosario changed uh, Hector Camacho's uh, style forever. If you ever want to see uh, who I think is one of the best fighters of all time, watch 
uh, Hector Camacho prior to his fight with Edwin Rosario. He had it all. On this day in 2005, Katsunori Takeyama wins a 12-round decision over Isaac Bustos to win the WBC World Strawway title. It took place in Japan. On this day in 1970, one of Sal's boys, Bob Foster, knocks out Robert, uh, I'm sorry, Roger Rouse in the fourth round to retain his WBC and WBA World Light Heavyweight titles, and that took place in Montana. On this day in 1941, Lou Nova knocks out Lou Max Nova. Bear in the eighth round of their, uh, of their heavyweight fight at Madison Square Garden in New York City. This was Bear's final uh, professional fight. He ends his career with 66 wins, 51 by knockout, 13 losses, and no draws. And who was the son of Max Bear, Sal? Buddy Bear, Jethro from the Beverly Hillbillies. That's right, Jethro from the Beverly Hillbillies. And finally, on this day, April 4th in 1944. Right. Yeah, yeah you did. Big. It wasn't Jack Dempsey. On this day, on this day April 4th in 1944, Manuel Ortiz wins a 15-round decision over Tony Oliveira to retain his world bantamweight title, and that took place in Los Angeles, California on this day. Uh, in 1944. Uh, hey, boys and girls, that concludes our show for today. Uh, but I will just want to tell you guys this. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby. Da na 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 na